a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 45. Mm. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How you doing, Chrissy? I'm good. How are you? Good. How is summer treating you? We had rain over the weekend, which we- was a huge surprise to anybody going to watch the hydroplane races here in Seattle. Normally, 300,000 people show up, but... Well, it did. was an unfortunate surprise, too, because I had arranged for a class up near Snoqualmie Pass in Wilderness First Aid, figuring that in August, at least, I could count on some sun. Usually you can. Was it inside or outside? Well, it was both, and it was a little more inside than we would have liked, but we did go outside every day with tarps and lay strewn about on the ground, moaning and clutching at imaginary injuries while we learned advanced first aid that you'd be doing when 911 is not five minutes away, and you have to care for and stabilize and monitor a patient and then work on getting them out of the mountains or wherever you are. So it was a good good weekend. We had a good time, but I do wish we could have had... More of it in the great out of doors since we all trekked all the way up there. Well, luckily ours, the conditions there will be raining if they do it during That's the winter true. here. So good, good operational things there. Mm-hmm. I stayed in and watched way too much TV this week and uh, talk about it. This week's show, we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and we each list the top, well, top 10 total shows that inspired our British TV obsession. So we're going to talk about the past a little bit here. Mm-hmm. So there were tons of premieres last week. Have you had a chance to see any of them? No. No? Okay, well, I'll just ramble on on my own. First was Grandma's House. Simon Amstel does a variation on a family sitcom as a TV personality named Simon, Mm -hmm. whose oddball family is shocked when he announces he's leaving the popular quiz show he hosts. And of course, in real life, Simon was the host of Nevermind the Buzzcocks until he quit. And Grandma's House comes with a disclaimer at the end saying, quote, its storyline and all associated characters are entirely fictional, so let's not make a wild business. And there was also a nice dedication to the late Jeffrey Hutchins in the first episode. So Rebecca Front plays Simon's fussy mother, who's getting engaged to a boring guy named Terry that Simon can't stand. There's also his clueless aunt and a very strange cousin, in addition to, of course, his grandmother and grandfather. Now, I like Amstel. His matter-of-fact deliveries, whether kidding people on buzzcocks or throwing out one-liners in Grandma's house, are like guided missiles. And like many BBC comedies these days, with the notable exception of my family, this is shot single-camera film style without a laugh track. I do tend to prefer those kind of shows. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, a lot of the comedy websites this week are talking about how Phil Jupitus almost quit on Never Mind the Buzzcocks last year, and... He's on record as saying about Simon Amstel, It struck me with Simon that people were being booked especially to have the piss taken out of them in a very overt fashion. Mark didn't... Mark Lamar. Mark Lamar didn't book people to rag on them. It was just the flow of the show. People suddenly went a bit weird, and Mark could turn on them. It became something else with Simon and started to get a bit wearing. And of course, Simon Amstel left the show last year, replaced by guest hosts, and Phil Jupitus decided to stay. You like Simon Amstel. I do like Simon Amstel. You think he was too mean? I think the people, I didn't see him catching anyone unaware that that was going to happen. And people who could really laugh at themselves and go with it came off extremely well. I'd rather be dissed by Simon Amstel than Mark Lamar. Josh Groban in particular, who I think 
Chimen had a little crush on by the end of the show. He was thinking, you're a very nice man, Josh Groban. It was cute. Yeah, it's pretty hard to tell, you know, Simon the character from Simon the guy in this show. I mean, he it's so similar to real life and oddly domestic. I think he was just feeling very sentimental and it's kind of sweet and nice and it's a character comedy. Oh, I have to put in that Simon has looked at my YouTube channels because he was interviewing Eddie Izzard on at the Apple store and it was put as a podcast on iTunes and he mentioned that preparing for the interview, he went to YouTube and found it. Eddie's first and second appearances on Letterman, which were put up by me. So I, I wrote, well, hello there, Simon Amstel on my site in case he ever goes back again. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And Eddie sounded pretty interested in watching him again, too, actually. So who knows? And suing your pants off. Mm-hmm. No. No. He doesn't own them. NBC would be the suing of the pants. Oh, but... that's true. Yeah. Worldwide pants, in fact. No, actually, CBS, that's right, because NBC hates for you to put anything on YouTube. They will yank it immediately. CBS doesn't care that much. Hmm. So the second series is The Deep. Uh, Do you remember a James Cameron movie from 21 years ago called Mm -hmm. The Abyss? Yep. Well, if you like that, you'll like The Deep. Underwater BBC drama starring James Nesbitt and Minnie Driver as scientists. Tobias Menzies, you might remember him as Brutus in Rome, plays a mysterious military attaché who takes charge of the group to go on a recovery mission near thermal vents deep under the ocean. But something weird is going on. There are mysterious deaths, international conspiracies, and two characters are having an affair. Something that comes as a huge shock to the rest of the crew, but to nobody who's ever seen a drama before. BBC Wales produced this series, which has pretty good special effects, although the inside of the submarine seems a bit too spacious and has oddly nondescript corridors. Not that I've ever been in a deep sea submarine before, but I would imagine there'd be more pipes and tubes and it wouldn't be just all smooth. So far, there aren't any aliens, like in the Cameron film, but if you aren't interested in seeing pretty good actors trapped underwater for six episodes, maybe this isn't the series for you. I have been in a submarine, but it was an old one because there was a submarine at the Museum of History and Industry in Chicago that you could go in when I was a kid. And boy, it was tiny. That's the old U-boat. I have been on that. Uh, The next one was Getting On. This was on BBC Four last year. I think nobody saw it, but it's getting shown on terrestrial TV now on BBC Two. It's a low-key comedy set in a hospital geriatric ward with former real-life nurse Joe Brand on call, along with Joanna Scanlon. The only way to describe this series is It's the Thick of It, which Scanlon also appeared in, done in a hospital. It's shot exactly the same, same deadpan reactions and attitudes about bureaucracy, and it was directed by Peter Capaldi, Mm. who was in the thick of it. Unfortunately, it's lacking a Peter Capaldi Malcolm Tucker type character who is singularly hilarious on his own as he explodes at all the situations around him, shooting expletives like knives at everybody. But it was just, uh, this kind of came out unexpectedly. I was watching something and they said, oh, and now getting on's on. What's this? And there it was. And I like Joe Brand, but it's very much in that style. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday, we had two new shows. The first was Pete versus Life. We get the chip version of Rafe Spall here rather than the spud that Simon Pegg once called him. So I guess judging by his weight, Desperate Romantics must have been filmed several years ago before he started losing all that weight. Anyway, Rafe stars as a sports writer Pete in this Channel 4 comedy that uses the gimmick of sports commentators narrating his life, commenting on the action, and comparing his performance to previous outings. 
Pete's biggest problem, though, is Pete. He's one of those characters who relies far too much on shading the truth and it inevitably bites him on the ass in the most humiliating way possible when he's found out. To be fair, his nemesis, his best friend's fiance, is truly annoying to the extreme and has a rather creepy relationship with her own brother. Another situation which Pete fails to deal with well and it blows up in his face. Poor guy, will he ever learn? I don't know if that sounds like something you'd be interested in seeing or not. Well, we'll see. And then Roger and Val have just got in. This is Don French and Alfred Molina starring in this low-key BBC comedy that could be equally staged as a play. There's only two characters, the eponymous middle-aged married couple, and everything about them is revealed through dialogue as they do some mundane task around the house, such as searching for a warranty on their vacuum cleaner. And again, it's done single-camera film style with no laugh track. And I'm enjoying all these shows because, of course, I like everything. You've not got a chance to see Sherlock yet, huh? No, I've got it waiting for me. Okay. I think it'll I be in for a treat. might even start on it tonight. We'll see. My overriding gripe is I wish it was not set in 2010. But that aside, it's a great series. It's very well done. And uh, we have a little news item about it, in fact, which is on Tuesday's BBC Breakfast, Stephen Moffat and Sue Virtue talked about Sherlock and announced that there would definitely be a second season now that the first three episodes have aired. And we have a link to a YouTube video of the interview on our show notes, but be warned there might be spoilers if you haven't seen them yet. And the good news is Sherlock begins running on PBS's Masterpiece Mystery on October 24th. So that week we will do a show all about it. Okay. So we have to watch them by then. Yeah, I'll watch them by then. We've got two months. Yes. Sky One has decided against doing a remake of Blake 7. You ever see Blake 7? Nope. Oh gosh, that was really one of my... Big favorites in the uh, late 80s. The satellite broadcaster had announced a remake of the cult 1970s BBC science fiction series in 2008, but announced last week, quote, following the development process, we have decided not to produce Blake 7. However, Sky continues to invest highly in original drama and remains at the heart of our plans. And they mean original drama, not Blake 7. So yeah, the producers are saying they had 60% funding and they were just, you know, looking yeah. for that last bit step. So who knows, it might come back. Well, Doctor Who came back in a big way. Do you think Blake 7 is the same sort of deal that it could be brought back today and still be relevant and popular and all that? It's been done as a radio thing. The big Finnish guys have done it. Mm-hmm. The thing with Doctor Who that's so unique is that you can change the cast. Mm-hmm. It's expected that you can just be gone for 10 years, come back with a new guy, and this is the new Doctor. And a lot of Blake 7 was the fans' association with the characters and the actors who played them. And you would have to find people who you wouldn't immediately say, oh, you know, Paul Darrow was a better Avon or whatever. But it was a good show. I, You know, I think Farscape stole a lot of the thunder. It was a very similar format. You know, ex-cons on the run against an evil galactic empire. So... They'd have to find scripts that hadn't been done by Farscape already. But, you know, like everything, I'd watch it. So it's on TV for the week of August 11th through the 17th. On Wednesday, the last of the three episodes of The Great Outdoors is on BBC4 at the (laughs) wide awake hour of 12.30 a.m. So actually, I guess technically it's Thursday morning. I'm hoping that kind of like... Yeah. The... Ramblers go to bed at 6.30 and wake up early. They won't be up. Well, 
probably like getting on. This is kind of a test run, and if they decide, yeah, so it was actually a pretty good show, we will repeat it on Terrestrial TV next year. I hope they do. I like it. I think it's really sweet, and it's got some, you know, name people yeah, in it. Yeah, it does. Really enjoyed the first two episodes, so. Oh, well. Thursday, the second episode of Mistresses is on BBC One. I enjoyed the first one a lot. BBC Two has a repeat of Getting On that, as I say, originally ran on BBC Four last year. Friday, My Family continues on BBC One. And it's followed by The Old Guys, and Catherine Parkinson will really be in this episode for sure. She's been absent, but her character's been mentioned, but we haven't actually seen her on screen yet. Channel 4 continues with Rafe in Pete vs. Life. And at the same time, BBC Two counters with Roger and Val have just got in, which in fact did beat Pete vs. Life in the ratings last week. And to finish Friday Night Off, there is Would I Lie to You on BBC One. Oh, you haven't seen last week's, have you? No. Oh, I even posted something on Facebook that there was a bluff that was just hilarious. They probably spent 10 minutes of the 30 minutes of the show on one guy's thing because it just mm. went funnier and funnier. And they had okay. to cut a lot of other stuff out, but it was worth keeping in there. Yeah, these shows tend to tape a lot more than what you see. Well, like Dana said, if you're keeping along with the score and you kind of went, why, how can it be six to four? Mm-hmm. We only answered three questions. Well, you know, they probably cut the boring bits out and they leave the really funny bits in and, and it was very funny. Saturday, Tonight's the Night with John Barrowman is on BBC One. ITV One continues the game show, Odd One In. John Bishop's Britain is on BBC One. Channel Four has the last episode from the first series of Misfits. Sunday, The Last of the Summer Wine is on BBC One. The 1960s police drama Heartbeat is on ITV One. And is followed on ITV One by the unforgettable Jeremy Beadle. BBC One has a new comedy drama called Vexed. Lucy Punch and Toby Stevens star as an unorthodox police detectives juggling crime with their everyday problems. Love to see that's any good or not. So they're a couple or just friends or they're partners, oh. police partners. So they have banter and stuff like oh. that. Alan Carr, Chetty Man is Sunday on Channel Four. Monday, Who Do You Think You Are on BBC One looks at the family tree of Rupert Penny Jones. BBC Three has a comedy pilot called The Clang Show. That's with a K. And it's described as a surreal comedy variety show. Isn't he one of the green drooly monsters on The Simpsons? Or, or uh, no, Kang? it's Kang oh, and Kodos. Okay. And BBC Two continues Simon Amstel's comedy Grandma's House. Tuesday, BBC One's drama thriller, The Deep, continues. Tuesday, BBC Two's comedy night has that Mitchell and Webb look, shooting stars, and Russell Howard's good news. The new season of Johnny Vegas' comedy Ideal begins on BBC Three. And joining the cast this year are Janine Garofalo and Sean Locke. Well, hey. Sean Locke plays a female-to-male transsexual who decides that he still likes his breasts. So it'll be Sean Locke with a full rack. Ah. And Janine Groffalo, apparently, she watched the show on IFC. And she said, wow, this is great. And she started telling everybody. And the next thing she knew, her manager called and said, hey, do you want to be on the show? And she leapt at it. Well, good for her. Yeah, cool. What an interesting career she's had. I, I love her. Ever since the Ben Stiller show, she's been one of my favorites. In the United States, on BBC America this week, Saturday, the second season of Being Human continues, and there's a Graham Norton show. Monday, Top Gear and James May's Toy Stories. 
The Sundance Channel has Shameless on Friday nights. The Independent Film Channel continues the new season of The IT Crowd on Tuesday. On Adult Swim on Friday night, there's Look Around You at 1.30 a.m. On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery on Sunday, there's repeats of Lewis, and new episodes will begin on August 29th. DVD releases. Minder, Season 3 with George Cole and Dennis Waterman. We talked about this popular 1980s comedy during our Dennis Waterman feature in show 33. So they're getting through all the seasons of this one, at least the, the good early years that Dennis Waterman were in before he quit the show. So our feature this week is Top 5 Shows That Inspired Our British Obsession. We've decided to spend the month coming up with top five lists. Well, really, they're top ten lists that Christy and I both contribute five items each. So five times two is ten, right? Easy. And we start off with comedies that inspired our British TV obsession. Now, maybe these aren't the best, and some might have zero significance to you out there, but to each of us, our picks have some personal meaning, which Christy has described as... The initial spark and growth of my British telly obsession. Oh, cool. We'll talk about each of these. Okay. So... Go. Well, I've got on my list Parkinson, and I chose a specific episode being one from early 1999 that included Eddie Izzard, Robbie Coltrane, and Diana Rigg. And it was the first episode of Parky I'd ever seen. Was this when he was on BBC or back on ITV? It was on BBC. Okay. And I had just met an internet friend who eventually became a real friend. We met her because she wanted to get some Eddie Izzard PAL tapes transferred and get sent to her friend in Canada. And I wanted a source to get some Eddie taped when I knew he was going to be on TV over there. So this was the first thing she sent me. And um, the tape got all smashed, but I managed to make it play anyway. And I just love the show. I was not used to a talk show, I guess... On TV, Charlie Rose is a bit like that in that the, he interviews people for the whole hour without skits and monologues. But Parky, of course, has a band and an audience, but he just sort of came on and introduced people and they sat for an hour and all talked to one another. And I, I just loved it to death. Yeah, Parky's an institution. I mean, there's jokes about him going back to the New Statesman because at one point Rick Mail's character says, you know, Parkinson, you know, in fact, he was talking about Cecil Parkinson who was in Margaret Thatcher's cabinet, but of course he was making a joke about mm -hmm. Michael Parkinson being on the BBC. What? He's got his own TV show. You have arrived when you get invited to be on Parkinson. Right, and Paul Merton was really unhappy when they did the opening to kind of the mosaic where all the all the little clips of the guests turn mm -hmm. into Parky's face, that he was really unhappy that he wasn't in it because he felt like he'd been on the show f lots of times and he felt he should be in the opening. So they did. They got rid of um, Bette Midler and stuck Paul's face in there, which always looked a little bit different in the sepia tone to my eye than all the other little faces. But I don't think they had that opening much, much longer. I think they did switch it out, but at least they made Paul happy. And because yeah, I remember he complained about it, and then he was on again a year later, and they asked if he'd taken a good look at the opening, and then they replayed the part where his face swam by the camera. So when Parky dies, which we hope is not for many, many years, do you know, I know what this is, but do you know a clip they'll show of his? Oh, something with um, Billy Connolly telling the story about burying the biker. I'm saying probably Rod Hull and Emu attacking oh, him. Well, that was my other thought. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that on so many clip shows. Well, Rod Hull did that to Johnny Carson as well. So that was his thing. 
attack the host with a puppet. Right, but that's the famous Parky clip has been shown a gazillion times. He probably got a check every time they showed it, too. So, yeah, he's bounced far between ITV and BBC. He's back at ITV now. Yep. Really, I thought he'd retired. Oh, is he? Well, yeah, but, but he, his last incarnation oh, of the show true. was yeah, ITV. Yeah, they moved him there because he didn't want to be bumped up to a real late night slot. So he took it to ITV, which was the exact same show, just with commercial breaks, so a bit shorter. Yeah. And I, I always thought it was charming how, you know, he'd been doing it for so long, but he, he was 0% jaded. And when he got really excited, but talking to people he particularly liked, his voice would go faster and faster and his words would start slurring together. And Alistair McGowan did a good impression of him doing that too, where he'd just say everything together because he was just so excited. He was like a little kid with words tripping out. He's a fine, fine host and presenter. So my fifth choice is the comic strip presents and the episode I like to go back and watch over and over again is South Atlantic Raiders. Now the comic strip guys were Peter Richardson and well, he was the main instigator of this. Right. And he was supposed to be Mark, Mike, the cool person in the young ones. And he had a 11th hour fight with the producer and quit. So that's why they put Christopher Ryan in there. But it was originally going to be Peter Richardson and Rick and Nigel Planer, who had been a double act, and then Rick and Aid, who had been a double act, playing the four young ones. Well, all these guys had been at the first comedy store, right? Mm-hmm. And With Alexi Sale. And the, and the guys would come out every night and do the same thing, and French and Saunders would come out, and they thought they had to do a new act every night. Mm-hmm. And they were quickly running out of material, and they realized, hey, the, the boys do the same thing every night. We don't have to keep coming up with new material. Peter Richardson convinced Channel 4 that they should hire them to do a series. And I think, I'm not mistaken, if that's the very first program that ever showed on Channel 4 was Five Go Mad to Dorset. Well, it was the first night yes. broadcast. I don't know that it was the first program it might have been. But right. I, but it did go out the first night it was brought open. Yeah. And MTV, in its early days, needed to fill up lots of late night time on Sunday nights. And they would bung... Comic Strip Presents on Uncut, mm-hmm. which is where I saw a lot of them. Me too. The CBC even showed some of the longer ones. I remember seeing Strike with Alexi Sale. It was, uh, what if Hollywood did a remake of the Miners' Strike mm-hmm. with Al Pacino and Meryl Streep yep. and Robbie Coltrane was in it. And it just turned up one evening on the CBC. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then they had a season where they did a lot of different parodies, and one was a big two-part epic called South Atlantic Raiders, and it involves General Galtieri from Argentina has taken over the Falkland Islands again, and so Don French plays a scientist who needs to be rescued, and they mount this great attempt where they actually hijack a plane, and they fly to the Falkland Islands in the 747. And it was just such this crazy, wacky adventure with all the people that you know in there and I just thought well, this is what comedy adventure movies should be like I mean mm-hmm. it was just done for television and at that point they were doing on BBC too I'm quite a big fan of those comic strips and they're still doing them they did Four Men in a Plane because there were some was recently like four or five years ago right yep Four Men in a Plane and Four Men in a Car right where they were the same characters both time these high high flying businessmen on their way to some sort of seminar right and everything goes wrong What's next? I chose a 1999 episode of Have I Got News for You, 
where the guests were Glenda Jackson and Lord Michael Onslow, and Angus was still the host. And I remember this episode, I watched it go out live. I was in Ireland at a hostel, and I had to, the television was way up high and the sound was very low, so I had to stand on a table next to it to hear the sound, and I stood there for a whole half hour and watched this episode, even though I know I'd probably get to see it again on tape later. And it included what I later read was Paul Merton's favor of his own ad-libs ever. So which school did you go to then? What's it to you? <laughs> well, you're asking Ian about his school. Why do we can't ask you about yours? Caterham School. Caterham? Mm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, head cook. He, here's the big one, Paul. Ask Lord Onslow which school he went to. <laughs> Lord? I'll whisper. I'll whisper. in Beck Grammar. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> You've done well for yourself. Yes. Can you remember your motto? Who are you looking at? I'm sorry. <laughs> that must have been a tough school. On the banner outside the school gate. <laughs> I thought Lord Onslow was a cute little imp too. He was. He seemed very jolly for a lord, and I just liked that episode, and remember it very fondly, just because of when I first watched it. Plus, it was just a darn good episode and funny throughout. Uh, when did you discover Have I Got News For You? Discovered it because of the unbroadcastable straight-to-VHS version that Eddie Azard and Richard Wilson had done, where they um, did it in 1995. Mm. It never was shown. They just sold it. It was about an hour and a quarter long. And a friend of mine bought it, and we watched it, and we went online, and we thought that the series was no longer being made. We didn't know then that it was twice a year, and then when they geared up again, we were very happy, and that we made a concerted effort and succeeded and got to go to a taping in 2001 because we were just fans from the, the first go. I remember showing it to my mom, and we didn't know who these people were at all, but it starts off with a pretend rehearsal for the show where they're reading these enormous scripts that are about three inches thick. And Paul's wearing a suit, and I think um, Ian's wearing this trashy Hawaiian shirt, and Angus is there, and they're all, rehear- they're all practicing their ad-libs so that they will sound natural on the night. Angus gets very cross because Ian tries to give him some suggestion and he he just looked so angry. He was just glaring and looking sulky and then Ian got mad and announced he was going off to Bruges because this was the year Stephen Fry had famously walked out of his play and gone to Bruges. So we didn't know who they were, but we knew right away we thought they were very, very funny and we liked the whole episode. So yeah, I think that was safe to say I pretty much liked that at the show immediately. And it has never waned. Yeah, as we talked about during our panel show a couple of weeks ago, I, I first saw it when I was living in England in 93, and I was like, wow, this show is hilarious. And have yeah, seen as many of them as I can get my paws on. My number four is Spitting Image. I think I saw it for the first time in 85 or 86, and... I remember the famous chicken song mm-hmm. where it was the two guys who wrote Red Dwarf. I discovered this today. Rob Grant and Doug Naylor wrote this song deliberately as the worst song ever. And they and they actually say this in the show. Like, you could make anything a hit if you play it often enough. So, of course, they played this incessantly during the episode. And sure enough, it went to number one. Hey. 
But it was this was a show that had puppet caricatures of celebrities and politicians and mocked them mercilessly. And I remember an episode that had uh, Leonard Nimoy, complete with Spock ears and velour shirt coming in there, and he was supposed to be auditioning for something, and uh, somebody, probably Chris Berry, in a really bad American accent, goes, you know, I am Leonard Nimoy, the actor. And he goes, to be or not to be. That is illogical, Captain. No, 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 no. And his ears would flap back and forth through quite uh, quickly. It was great. But yeah, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan would really get in on it. And I just found it very, very funny because it was really digging in on the, the Thatcher years there. And then the CBC was showing them in the late 80s here. And when there was a new series running, they would run it that week. So it was right on the topics of what was going on. And then when they weren't in production, they would show old repeats. But they had it on for several years, which is really a great source of being able to see these things. It was nice to see really tough comedy and sometimes very tasteless, too. They could be a lot more scatological than Saturday Night Live could even do. Yep, I only really knew them from the Genesis Land of Confusion video. They did that one. They got Sting to do a cover version of... uh, I'll be watching you that he actually sang and they did it over the closing credits and it was about, uh, I'll be bombing you. And it really was staying. You're like, wow. Hmm. It's a popular, popular show. Okay. Let's let me talk about my number three choice, which is spaced. And I love them all, but I've chosen the episode art. Hey. Oh, how'd it go? Yeah. Great. Well, anyone phone? Uh, your boyfriend. Anyone important? No. You know when you said it went well? Well, when you said well, did you mean shite? Yes. I froze up. I just made a tit of myself. How much of a tit? I said girl power. Did you do this? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you might have impressed them. How? Tim? Yeah, I'm thinking. Oh, shit. Oh, now, come on, don't be so dramatic. You don't know for definite that you haven't got it. They might phone you out. Well, pick it up, then. <laughs> Hello? Hi, Mike. Yeah, it's here. I'll just get him. It's your boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend. Hi, babe. Hello, Timmy. Where are you? Ah, Sheffield. You're doing a Sheffield? Fell asleep on the tube. The tube doesn't go to Sheffield, Mike. Yeah, I know. I uh, must have changed the King's Cross. Right, well, don't fall asleep on the way back, okay? Mike. Mike! Brian's former performance art partner, Volva whose real name is Ian, shows up, and he's played by David Walliams. And David Walliams and um, both Jessica Hines and Katie Carmichael had gone way, way back. As, ah. as teenagers, they had been in the National Youth Theater together and learned how to be young thespians and done plays together. And in fact, David Walliams, recently I, re- I heard an interview, and Katie Carmichael was his girlfriend for many years, and he really says that she brought him out of his shell. He was very introverted and 
and just awoke a, a, just a love of life in him and got him to go out and used to love to dress him up in Paul Gaudier skirts for men and makeup and things like that. So they all really went back. So at this point, he hadn't even done rock profiles yet. And I think he'd done just a little bit of work with Matt Lucas. So they were kind of almost doing him a favor casting him in this, but he was very fun, very memorable. And it ends with Daisy deciding she's going to become a performance artist and doing this god-awful poem thing on stage about a rabbit with this, just her shrieking the word rabbit over and over again. And she's got a fake crab sewn on a leotard. That's her outfit. And I just thought that was beautiful performance art. And so I chose that mainly for the guest stars, but it was an early episode. I loved it. The first time I watched, I had seen a couple episodes at our Rusting Tardis meeting, but I had been given all of season one and two, and I just had surgery on my spine. So I had a big C collar on, and I was staying with my mom a few days till I could feel better about getting around. And we watched all 14 episodes over two evenings, and I had to be really careful not to laugh too hard because it would hurt my neck. But I do remember just kind of days of painkillers, but thinking, wow, this is about the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And my mom and sister joining right in, laughing with me. I definitely had awareness of Simon Pegg, um, mostly because of Faith in the Future, but he'd also been in sketch shows, and so I was primed to like it. And of course, the fact there's so many in-jokes about Star Wars and comics and mm -hmm. things. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed Space quite a bit. Yeah, they were so young, especially Edgar. I think Edgar wasn't even 25 when he directed the series. He was so young. But he had started, he'd wanted to be a, TV director since he was a little, little boy. He had entered a contest, I believe sponsored by the BBC, for filmmaking as in his late teens, maybe 17, 18 years old, and he won. So his prize was a camera and a bunch of film stock. So he made a film, and it's an extra on the double disc of Hot Fuzz, this little film that he made years and years ago. In fact, the star of that film has a cameo in Hot Fuzz playing one of those street mimes that dress up as a statue. So, And coincidentally, Edgar Wright's movie, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, comes mm -hmm. out this week. Hey! And I'll be out this weekend, so I won't get a chance to see it, but it looks like a lot of fun. He is just always amazed me with how driven and focused he was at a young age. And it's kind of amazing that in Hot Fuzz, there is a a shooting scene set in a supermarket, and that was actually the supermarket Edgar had worked at during Saturday as a teenager, collecting carts from the parking lot. Can you imagine if somebody told him that in 15 years' time he'd be back at his Saturday job shooting a multi-million dollar film? <laughs> it was too funny. Well, somebody has to. Yep. My number three is Red Dwarf. I got the first four episodes from a friend of mine who had gotten them from his source in England. And for some bizarre reason, the guy had put the end, which is the first episode, as the fourth episode on the tape. And my friend, of course, naturally assumed that would be what that was the last episode. So mm -hmm. he watched them all out of order. But luckily he told me, no, you need to watch them in this order. And so I got to see them that way. And it was pretty low-key to start off with, because the first 15 minutes of Red Dwarf in the very first episode, not a lot happens. I mean, mm -hmm. it's the setup of yeah. Dave Lister and stuff. But I like Chris Berry. I thought he's very funny. And, and then by the end of the episode, you're like, wow, what happens next? And 
this was the first non-Doctor Who thing I showed at our Rusting Tardis Club here in 1988. I thought, wow, these are really great, and it's science fiction. People should like this. And I said, well, I've got something new to show you. And they're all like, oh, no, we don't want to watch it. It's not Doctor Who. And I said, no, but it's it's good. You're like, Look, just watch the first episode. If you don't like it, we won't watch anymore. But give it a chance, all right? You have no choice, really, because I'm in charge of the VCR. So we put them in there, and... By the end of it, they were like, yeah, we want to see more. The BBC showed the first six episodes, and then later that year, they showed the second six episodes, and that was the first two seasons. And then they weren't repeated. Well, they've never been repeated, but they weren't even released on home video. And so five years later, when I was living in England, despite the fact everybody says, oh, yeah, I've been watching Red Dwarf from the beginning, nobody had copies of it. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought to bring my episodes, which, of course, had been beat to death by PBS, because I thought, oh, Coles to Newcastle. And it turned out that anybody who had the first season of Red Dwarf in 1993, you could trade the family jewels for that. Hmm. In fact, there were conventions that people would show up just to see the old episodes because they were that rare. There was something a a little bit about Faulty Towers, too. I remember reading that had been repeated in the United States, but it hadn't been repeated in the UK. And they were going to repeat it, and it was like a big deal. People just couldn't wait for it because it hadn't been shown after its first airing for quite a few years. Oh, I didn't realize it had gone out of fashion because I thought it was like yeah. Monty Python where they just kept, it was being shown every once in a while. Yep. Yeah, the BBC was a lot less into repeats in the 70s and 80s. It's uh, Now they've got multi-channels and stuff, but you're more likely to get old shows uh, coming back. So, yeah, Red Dwarf uh, hit, uh, in his po- height of its popularity, was getting 8 million viewers on BBC Two, which is huge amount. That would be top rated on BBC One nowadays, mm-hmm. but in the ladies, that was pretty good. Moving on to mine, my number two pick was The Young Ones, and I had to choose the episode Bambi. I think that's most people's favorite, besides being just funny, including the crop rotation in the 14th century classic scene on the train between Neil and Rick. It also included, of course, Smith and Jones and Fry and Laurie and Emma Thompson and Ben Elton all playing roles throughout. Who said locks are lording my bottoms on fire? Lillian! Yes, well, I can accept that the exact answer is Joan of Arc. Well done, <laughs> points. Five points. And what is the chemical equation? Uh, I've got a Porsche. <laughs> Yes, well, that's not exactly what I've got written on the card, but I knew your father, so footlights see by 25. Daddy sends hugs. <laughs> so, start of 10, fingers on the buzzers. Who is the richest person in the world? Scumbag Vivian. What? We're getting thrashed. We're getting completely thrashed. Isn't there some way we can cheat? Guys, guys, look, it's, it's beginning to seep out. Oh, guys, please. <laughs> It's very simple now. Use the jug. <laughs> no, I'll have to hurry you. I'll have to hurry you. Who is the richest person in the world? Footlights snot. It's, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Your father's multinational collapsed only this morning. Oh. I didn't know Bamber Gascoigne from anybody there, so I never got the significance of um, Griffrey's Jones and his red wig being called Bambi but loved it, and I really loved the out-of-left-field ending with the enormous eclair smashing down on the set and killing everybody. And remember who the scientist was? That would be Robbie, wouldn't it? Coltrane? And Tony Robinson were in that scene as well. I mean, that episode had everybody in it. In fact, if you hadn't picked this, I would have. Yeah. 
because I think the young ones is great. That again, it was it popped up on an MTV. We got MTV probably in eighty one or eighty two, right when it first started, and this was Sunday nights at eight o'clock. They would show these, and I was going through one of my tapes, which I got. My episodes are off MTV. And they're 32 minutes, and they would just bung them in the time slot, and mm-hmm. they let it run. There were no breaks. There were no bugs. Yep. Same, the glory days of cable TV. I've got those as well, and I remember that Neil came over and hosted MTV um, guest DJ hour, and it was it was a good time. They did play them over and over and over again for several years, so you could get them all eventually. And Well, the secret to that, when they did the series, was Ben Elton wanted to do this series, and they... Uh, was they found it covered if they had a musical act, they could double the budget because mm-hmm. it also became a variety show, not yep. just a sitcom. And so they were able to do location shoots and do things that just sitcoms weren't doing in the early 1980s. And this is what had me uh, fall in love with Rick Mail. And there are several Rick Mail series I could have mentioned here, like The New Statesman, which I thought was great. Uh, we played a extremely right wing. Greedy Tory MP in Margaret Thatcher's Britain. Right. Well, this episode also had the scene where they all went to the laundromat and had to entice the washing machine open by promising it Felicity Kendall's underclothes. And Felicity Kendall was, well, you'll find out later, she was on my list too of this episode that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So I like how it all tied together there. What was the band in that episode? I want to say Motorhead. Doing the Ace of Spades. I believe it was them, yeah. I think it is. I think it's during yeah. the montage when they're running to get to catch the train because they realize they've got... You know. Rick stealing crisps and cramming them in his mouth at the magazine stand. Yep, yep. Yeah. The Young Ones was one of the first British comedies I saw, and I really like it a lot. Another early British comedy for me is seeing Blackadder 2, and I can mm-hmm. tell you exactly where I was at. I was at a... Blake Seven Convention in Chicago in 1985. And the only reason they were showing it was because Tom Baker, former Doctor Who, was guest starring in an episode called Potato. So, Rob, I wish to hire you and your ship. Can we shake on it? Ah! ah you have a woman's hand, my lord. <laughs> I wager these dainty pinkies never weighed anchor in a storm. Well, you're right there. <laughs> <laughs> Skin, me lord. I'll wager it ne'er felt the lash of the cat. Being rubbed with salt and then flayed off by a pirate chief to make fine stockings for his best cabin boy. This is uncanny. I don't know how you do it, but you're right again. Why should I let a stupid cockle like you aboard me boat? Perhaps for the money in my purse. <laughs> you have a woman's purse. <laughs> I'll wager that purse has never been used as a rowing boat. I'll wager it's never had 16 shipwrecked mariners tossing in it. Yes, now, right again, Ron, I must say, when it comes to tales of courage, I can say I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut. Oh, you have a woman's mouth, <laughs> I'll wager that mouth never had to chew through the side of a ship to escape the dreadful spindly killer fish. Yes, I must say, when I came to see you, I had no idea I was going to have to eat your ship as well as hire it. And since you're clearly as mad as a mongoose, I'll bid you farewell. courtiers to the Queen, you're nothing but lapdogs to a slip of a girl. Better a lapdog to a slip of a girl than a git. <laughs> so you do have some spunk in you. Don't worry, laddie, I'll come. 
I'll come. Well, let us set sail as soon as we can. I, sh I will fetch my, my first mate and return as fast as my legs will carry me. Oh, you have a woman! <laughs> I'll wager those are legs that have never been sliced clean off by a falling sail and swept into the sea before your very eyes. Well, neither of yours. That's where you're wrong. No point in changing your mind now. No one else will come. The whole thing's suicide anyway. Uh, Sir Walter Raleigh has come back to court, played by former Arthur Dent, Simon Jones. Mm-hmm. And he's got the Queen's favor, and so Blackadder, too, went up him, says, I'm going to sail around the Cape of Good Hope, and uh, hires a crew, and Tom Baker is a crazy redbeard rum, the captain. And I probably saw this three times that weekend. I was making mental notes of all the jokes, and I came back to Seattle, and I said... I have seen the greatest sitcom ever. I'm trying to describe the entire episode. And this happens, and this happens, and this happens. And luckily, someone located a copy of the entire series of Blackadder 2. And I was able to uh, watch them apparently run in Canada. And I thought, wow, this is really funny stuff. And not too long after that, A&E started running them, mm-hmm. starting with the first series. Wow. Yeah, and. I had shown Blackadder 2 to our club, so everybody was familiar with that. And they showed the first season of A&E, and a friend of mine said to me, where was Rowan Atkinson? Oh, my. They couldn't recognize him. There was something in Blackadder 2 with the costume and the beard and the ruff that made Rowan Atkinson look like a sexy guy. He did, and the swagger. It was. He definitely is one that wears, wears a beard very, very well. But normally he is more like, you know, the Mr. Bean, mm-hmm. the original Black Adder, kind of, you know, geeky, nerdy kind of guy. That that kind of is the real role. You know, very quiet fellow. Black Adder 2 is the one that really took off. The BBC almost didn't make it because the first Black Adder had been shot on film, was very expensive, a lot of location work. And they saw the scripts of the second one and said, well, you know, that was a historical parody. It cost a lot of money and nobody watched it in there. No, no, no. It's going to be done in the studio. Really cheap. Because it was the first series was Atkinson and Richard Curtis, and then Richard and, Curtis and Ben, and ben Elton. Elton. I th- and I think the BBC series. was very big on Ben Elton at that point, and so mm-hmm. they were like, "Okay, you can do these six episodes, but keep it cheap." And the rest is history. One of the great uh, sitcoms of the 1980s. But for me, Blackadder Two made me really think for the first time what else is out there that I don't know about. Because the only reason I saw it was because it had an actor in it who I really liked, that is Tom Baker, and made me want to seek out and discover brave new worlds where no Anglophile had gone before. Cuddle them all to your chest, right? Right. Well, I'll go on to my last or first in-line clip, which would be a real early show that I caught on to and liked, which was the good... Well, it was known here as The Good Neighbors, but known overseas, of course, as The Good Life. And it was shown on our PBS station all the time. And the first episode I really remember sitting down and watching, and my mom was there too, was The Last Posh Frock, where Barbara is feeling very much unlike a woman because of her hard work and wearing old dungarees and always being out with the animals and in the dirt. So she dresses up in her one nice dress she's got left from their life pre-self-sufficiency and rips it. And her husband just doesn't get it for quite a long time what the big deal is. 
And in any way, he is finally made to see reason and goes off and sells a few things that he's been holding back and buys her a beautiful, beautiful posh frock. And we, my mother and I just liked the term posh frock. That was new to us, too. So we began using it for our own best dresses, was who we put on our posh frocks when we go to dinner, that sort of thing. And I just have a very sentimental fondness for the whole series. I very nearly chose the one where Tom puts his back out when it's time to do the harvest because that was the best backache acting I had ever seen in my life when he's trying to get up and he's saying, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Just He got it just exactly right if you've ever put your back out and who hasn't. But got to go with the posh frock because that term entered the lexicon of my family where it stays today. I had not seen The Good Life when the first time I saw Felicity Kendall was when they were doing the BBC Shakespeare plays in the 70s. Do you remember those? No. Oh, you didn't see those? Oh, I yeah. might have seen a few. I remember David Dixon playing Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And but... John Cleese was in one, mm-hmm. very famously. And the one I saw was, tw- I was watching these because I'm trying to uh, improve myself. And it was Twelfth Night with Felicity Kendall. And I had no idea who she was. I didn't even know that... She was the star of the play, you know, clearly you're not sure who the major character is going to be as you're going to it. And I just could not take my eyes off her. And I thought, wow, she she has it. Whatever it is, charisma, looks, whatever, mm-hmm. I want to see this actress in something else. And then I realized, oh, she's a very, very famous sitcom star in Britain in uh, Good Neighbors. And uh, that prompted me to watch that show. I saw her the first time I ever went to London. I saw her in a Tom Stoppard play. And at that time, Tom Stop- she was sort of the muse of Tom Stoppard. She has since remarried her first husband. But it was called Indian Inc. about a um, free-spirited lady who goes off to India for her health. In, the th- in I think it was either the 20s or the 30s. But she was just most excellent in that. And I remember I, I was alone on that trip. I met up with some friends and family a few times, but I was I saw that show alone. There was an American gentleman next to me alone. And so we just talked and talked and talked and we were going the same direction afterwards. And so we sat on top of double decker bus and kept talking about the play. And I love talking about books and theater and plays and things I've just seen. And then years later, I ended up at a B&B well, just renting actually a spare room from an actress named Shirley Ann Field, who's pretty much a very respected film and theater actress in the UK and who'd known Felicity forever and had seen that play. So it was kind of fun getting to talk about the play with this lady who knew Felicity Kendall and because there'd been a nude scene in it, which Felicity Kendall's not known for and how that was done. And it was very interesting. Well, we mentioned the young ones earlier. They used to make quite a few jokes about Felicity Kendall's bum. Mm-hmm. And I'm, at that point, I knew who she was. And I was like, oh, yes, Felicity Kendall's bum. And in fact, there is a gag in an early Red Dwarf episode where they claim they found a moon that looked like Felicity Kendall's bum. And Holly informs us, went around that one several times. Yeah, well, I haven't, I don't really look at these lists, but I wouldn't be surprised if she was a rear of the year, which they, you know, have every year. But some interesting people have won that. Frank Skinner won it not too long ago. No. So I think it's it's mostly what your press agent gets out there. But yeah, the young ones did have a whole episode where it seemed like the good life was beginning and you saw the little daisy oh, with right. the bee chasing it. And then Vivian had a temper tantrum and ripped up the logo and screamed about how it was so nice that he hated it. And Rick and Neil were about ready to 
and Neil's dad, who was visiting, were about ready to take him down for how dare you say anything against Felicity Kendall. We love her. It was very good. And she popped up in Doctor Who a couple of years ago in the yes. Agatha Christie episode. Yes, indeed she did. So she's still around? Yeah. My number one choice of inspiring British TV shows has got to be Monty Python's Flying Circus. And the earliest sketch I can remember watching was Bicycle Repair Man. This man is no ordinary man. This is Mr. F.G. Superman. To all appearances, no different from any other law-abiding citizen. But Mr. F.G. Superman has a secret identity. When trouble strikes, at any time, at any place, he is ready to become Bicycle Repair Man. Hey! There's a bicycle broken! Up the road! This sounds like a job for bicycle repairman. But how to change without revealing my secret identity? If only bicycle repairman were here. Wait! I think I know where I can find him. Look! I think I've told the story before where my dad and I were watching some chat show and they had the boys on and they showed this clip and they said, and we're now showing on your local PBS stations. And we said, we need to see this. And we found on the TV guy that it was on Thursdays at eight or whenever it was on. And we would make a point of watching Monty Python each week. And, and my grandpa and mom both liked it when it went out originally. Yeah. And being a teenager in the 70s was a great time to be a Monty Python fan. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the shows being repeated incessantly. We had a restaurateur in Seattle named Ivor Hagland who owned a bunch of seafood places. And he sponsored Monty Python perpetually. And they showed them for years and years and years. It was fabulous. I remember one New Year's Eve, they had a marathon. And I didn't actually have the day off from work, but I took the day off from work because I had gotten a VCR by that point so I could record every Monty Python episode. And they started doing repeats within the day. So I was like, okay, I don't need this one because they showed it at 9.30 that morning or whatever. And, of course, they were making movies in those days. So you had Holy Grail. And at the end of the decade, you have Life of Brian and then Meaning of Life coming out in 83. And, of course, you know, when you're into Monty Python, then, of course, you get into Faulty Towers, Mm because of these at that, Ripping Yarns, and then, you know, all the other things that those guys have been involved with. So, but Monty Python really does kick it off. So, I uh, would have to think that that had a big impact on my interest in British comedy. So, next week... We will talk about our top five favorite dramas. Yeah, I have a list, but I might reorder it or change it. So, got a whole week. 
Uh, it's going to be tricky for me to narrow it down to five, and especially not have them all be science fiction shows because, <laughs> well, I love all science fiction, and I've watched, you know, I watch the good stuff and I watch the bad stuff. The show has to be pretty heinous for me just to quit watching it. That should be fun, and we've got lots of more top five lists to come. And if you have any ideas or th- lists you want to do, put them on our Facebook page, send us an email, be great. Yeah, our... my mom's working on our top five, so we'll hear what she has to say. Cool. We'd like you to go visit our website at www.britishtvpodcast.com. And there you can find links to show notes, what's on TV this week, headlines, and an archive of our previous 44 shows. And if you would like to send us feedback, you can do that at feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. So I'm going to be away this weekend, so I'm going to miss all my favorite shows. Of course, I'll get them later, but... (laughs) It's been fun to be catching up on things. I've been inside, despite the nice weather, watching a lot of TV because you want to strike while the iron is hot. And it's nice that we're getting a lot of uh, new shows running right now. Yeah. Well, I'm off to watch Sherlock now, I think. I think you'll like it a lot. Good. And we'll... I love Jekyll. So another Stephen Moffat treat. So. Well, he did the first episode and then someone I'm not familiar with wrote the second one and then Mark Gatiss did the third one. Mm-hmm. And I think I really like the first and third one quite a bit. Okay. So, hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, tell your friends and hope you'll be back next week for Show 46. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>